Just want to issue a content warning for this episode. This episode discusses in-depth, in-detail loss and pregnancy loss and miscarriage. So if those topics are uncomfortable for you, please consider skipping this episode. But we felt they were extremely important to cover as part of our Women's Health series. Enjoy the episode. All right, welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. This is the final installment of our Women's Health series for National Diabetes Awareness Month 2023. And I think one of the, the best parts of this is that we get to check in with our friends uh, from the diabetes online community and you know share a little bit more of a patient perspective. So with that, I'm gonna turn it over to Eritrea to introduce our returning guest from Lebanon, Serene. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Yay. I'm so happy to be back. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. Serene is not only a dear friend of mine, but also just a repeat guest, like Rob said, a true friend of the pod. She was on the show in 2021, actually during the Beirut blast, like right after, and was the first takeover person for me from Diabetics Doing Things is one of my first big projects and initiatives. And we wanted to bring her back for a Women's Health series at a as a special final episode. Today's episode is a little bit different not just because she's been on the show before, but because a lot of what we're gonna talk about has to do with not just her story, but also part of mine. So Serene, welcome. I'm so happy to have you. I'm so happy to be here. And I hope my story helps other people go through their stories because it's a very common story, unfortunately. <laughs> I think that's a really good way to open this up. Usually on these episodes, we start with interviewing our guest. And today, I think that it's just necessary to provide some context for our listeners so that they can understand where my friendship with Serene really began. Because honestly, how does a girl in Dallas, Texas meet a girl from Beirut, Lebanon and become not just best friends, but almost like sisters? I want to cry. Too many times in society, like Serene said, it feels like we only acknowledge successful pregnancies. And in the background, women are losing babies every single day. While successful pregnancies with diabetes are absolutely possible and such a big part of the world now, it's so important to remember that diabetes can pose a huge increased risk. So for me personally, in 2021, I found Serene's account while I was looking for people to take over diabetics doing things. And after starting kind of a quick friendship, just a small DM relationship, I saw a story where Serene spoke about how she lost her baby, Hoya. I, Eritrea, ended up joining Positive on Glucose, which is Serene's support online group, and started attending weekly meetings and chats with other people in the Middle East who were going through similar experiences, not just with pregnancy loss, but just all of the stigma that comes with being a person living with diabetes while still living in an Islamic and Arabic culture. At the time, and this is not something we've talked about on the pod before, but that I'm finally brave enough to open up about, I'd experienced my own loss in April of 2019. I was pregnant for about four months and I had hyperemesis gravidarium through the entire four months, which that means is that I had all day morning sickness. So that is being sick, throwing up, and that can create complications when you're a person with diabetes because you are taking insulin for your food. So with those episodes of vomiting came intense hypoglycemia that was followed by seizures and accompanied more symptoms that were just complicated and more and more complicated. Ultimately, in my story, I ended up losing about 28 to 30 pounds and deciding to move forward with terminating my pregnancy, which I spoke with my family about and 
thankfully religious leaders who said that in Islam, this is allowed because the health of the woman comes first. So I felt spiritually okay, spiritually okay, but still just lost and alone because I had no one to talk to. So there was so much shame and guilt around what happened and what the, and the decision that I'd had to make that when I stumbled on positive on glucose, because that's what happened, a whole community of women who were experienced and living similar experiences jumped out to save me, to pull me from drowning. Serene and Noor and Yasmin and Julie and Taj and Dr. Kadira and Iman, whose mom is an OBGYN in Egypt. A whole group of women who were culturally and sometimes religiously similar to me. For me, talking about what happened felt like it was finally like breathing, like taking a breath of fresh air and getting to tell a story. There's a quote, Maya Angelou says that there is no greater pain than a story that goes untold. And for me, Serene's group gave me a space to do that. There's an importance to loss that demands discussion, exploration, and that's the space that Serene and Positive on Glucose gave me. And it's the space that I wanna create today for any woman who might be listening to this episode. So now that I've told my story, Serene, I wanna give you the stage to maybe tell us about your experience in being pregnant and that loss that did lead to the loss of, of Hoya. Uh, I feel so emotional, like, ah. <laughs> so this is a story of, like, I like to call it loss and love because like for me, it was losing something, but finding love in a sense um so in 2019 i had an unplanned pregnancy i just had gotten like married i was six months into my marriage i was doing my masters i had a full-time job love life was like chaotic and i found out i was pregnant and i was not ready to be pregnant like emotionally mentally like you know pregnancy is a big deal and in the middle east a woman living with diabetes is a big deal because like we live all our lives being conditioned that we're not fit to be moms, our bodies cannot carry babies, we're shamed. People doubt our ability to, you know, to, to be moms, which is so natural to a woman. And I have to say like throughout my entire pregnancy, basically I had an unplanned uh, pregnancy and I just had gotten married like six months into marriage full-time job doing my master's life was a it was chaotic and like pregnancy was the last thing like that i needed <laughs> honestly in my life and i was not prepared mentally emotionally my hba1c was 8.5 so like i wasn't doing my best even diabetes wise and it just like it shook me so I remember like I tried everything I can to lower my HbA1c, tried to eat as healthy as I can, you know, to be on top of things all the time. But like needless to say, like where I come from in the Middle East, in Lebanon, we, we lack a lot on education. So basically a woman with diabetes is someone who is unfit to carry a baby. Like we live with this programming or conditioning that we are unfit to be mothers, that our bodies failed us in a sense. And so like this always was in the back of my mind, like I have to do this, I have to do a good job. And especially back then, like I had just started positive on glucose, um, I think the same month I got pregnant. And like there was this internet community that supported me and that was waiting for me to have this baby. And like I have this community in Lebanon and I just wanted to prove 
like to give them hope, like, yes, I can do it. Like my, our bodies can do that. So I remember the gender reveal and like knowing it was a girl and I was like so happy because like I felt back then that I would be a girl mom. Now I'm totally a boy mom, by the way. <laughs> so we called her Joya. We wanted like a name that is different and we wanted something on, on the basis of joy. So like Joya. So that that is where the name came from. And I loved her so much. Like, it's so weird that I felt very connected to her. I would know, like, what time it is, depending on, on when she moved. Like, I would definitely know, like, now it's 10 a.m., now it's 2 a.m., 2 p.m., whatever. And I just, I felt very connected to her. We went on adventures. We celebrated her while she was just in my tummy. And um, I think I started having weird symptoms when I was around six months pregnant. I just, I started swelling. I would Google, you know, like my symptoms and like the number one complication with diabetes, type 1 diabetes always was preeclampsia. And I asked like my, my gynecologist back then who was married to my endocrinologist. Like I did not pick them one team. I picked them one home, literally, because like I wanted them to take good care of me. And like my endocrinologist, I'd worked for them for four years. I trusted them. I loved the guy. He was so amazing. And like, of course, his wife would take perfect care of me. And like, they're at the same clinic. They're married. They literally sit around the kitchen table every day. So like, they're a good team. And she said like, nah, you're fine. It, like it happens to any pregnant lady. Like she never tested me out. And I kept having persisting symptoms and like, they just kept getting worse and worse. And every time I would Google them, it would say preeclampsia, and I always go back to preeclampsia. And I remember one time, I was like eight months something pregnant. I was like, hey, like, might I have preeclampsia? She was like, no, like, stop Googling things, stop reading. You're so obsessed. Uh, she told my husband, like, stop listening to her. She told my mom, like, stop listening to her. She's so obsessed. She needs to stop Googling things. She's fine. Like, this happens to all pregnant ladies. And she never tested me. Like, deep down in my heart... I knew like something was off. And I always like, I don't know if I've ever told you this, Eritrea, I always had these dreams when I was pregnant that I would give birth and I would ask them like, is the baby okay? Does, does the baby have 10 toes and 10 fingers? And they would say yes. And I would ask them in my dream, like, why isn't the baby crying? I always had like this recurring dream in my, like during my pregnancy, which was weird. And then I understood why. Until New Year's Eve 2019, meaning like the next day would be 1-1-2020, I woke up and the baby was not moving. And like my baby had a schedule, like she would move at a schedule and she was not moving. And I Googled, they told me like, eat chocolate, turn to your, I think, either right or left side, I don't remember anymore. Like the baby is supposed to move and she was not moving. Three hours passed by, she was not moving. And deep, in, deep, deep, deep down inside of me, I knew. Like, I knew. So I called my husband. He's like, no, you're overreacting. The baby's okay. Call your OBGYN. She's fine. I called my OBGYN. She's like, no, you're overreacting. I was like, no, no, no. Something is off. I can feel it. I'm a mom. I'm connected to this child. And I feel something is off. 
So she said, no, 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 I'm sure everything's fine. Like, just rest a bit. I'm sure she's going to move. I wait half an hour. She doesn't move. And like, خلص, inside of my heart, I know that she's not there. So I call my OBGYN again. I'm like, my baby's not there. I'm, I'm certain, like, I need to go do something. She's like, well, yeah, you're overreacting. But if you want, just go to the ER. Tell them, like, to do... I forgot what, what you call them, like... The ultrasound? The monitoring. Yeah. No, not an ultrasound. Like, it's kind of monitoring where they see the heartbeat of the baby. Oh, that so belt thing. Like, the belt thing that they yes, put on you the belt people. thing. Yes. I forgot what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... I call my husband, he's like, yeah, like, just go take the cargo. I'm like, no, 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 you're taking me. He's like, I'm sure you're fine. I'm like, no, you're taking me. So I remember I went out of my house. I tidied up my house. I wore a black dress. I got my carry-on, and I just knew, knew that I was going to the hospital. I'm staying there, like, my baby's not there anymore. And, like, I remember all the way to the hospital, I literally ripped off all my nail polish because I was so anxious. And I went into the elevator in the hospital, and this guy looks at me, and like, I'm a whale, I'm so pregnant. He's like, oh, you're gonna have the baby on New Year's Eve, that's so cute. And deep inside, I'm like, mm-mm, <laughs> no, no, that's not gonna happen. So I go inside the delivery ward where they, where they do this monitoring. I walk inside, and uh, I lay on this uh, bed, and um, they're like, yeah, now we're gonna see the heartbeat of the baby. And it's one nurse, then it's two nurses, then it's three, then it's four. Then telling me to like undress, take your jewelry off. They tell my husband like go go down to like to, to admissions, admit your wife. And and like my husband, my poor husband thought I was having a baby. And deep down inside, I knew like nope. So like I tell them what's going on? Is there a heartbeat? They don't answer. I ask them again, is there a heartbeat? They don't answer. So, like, they start leaving one after the other, and then, like, there's just this one nurse. And I'm like, did my baby die? And she's like, the OBGYN will now come and let you know what happened. And that moment, I literally had an out-of-body experience. Like, I could see myself from the corner of the room crying my eyeballs out. Like, I, I can never forget the feeling. It felt like the entire space on Earth did not feel fit the emotions that I had, like no space on the planet could fit what I, what I felt. It's, it's, it's such a weird feeling. And like my husband comes in and he saw, he sees me and he realizes, like we didn't have to talk, like he realizes. And I remember he brought me back. He said, you're still here. You're still here. You're alive. You're still here. She's gone, but you're still here. And like he repeated like six, seven times. And he grounds me and I come back. I come back into my physical body. Like, I feel like I'm still here. And then I had to do, like, a very tough decision, which is who to call. Because, like, it's New Year's Eve. Like, everyone's... I remember, like, I was doing some pizza. Like, um, my parents and my husband's parents are, like, getting ready to celebrate. Everyone's coming from, like, all towns. Like, all his brothers, all the families coming together. Like, what the hell am I going to do? So we decide that we don't want to tell his parents because we didn't want to spoil New Year's Eve for them. It was such a weird, like, I don't know how, we were so, like, zen. It was so weird. But I called my parents and I tell them, like, I called my mom, like, listen, I lost my baby. I'm at the hospital. Can you please come? She's like, what? I'm like, I lost my baby. Can you come to the hospital? And she just couldn't, like. So the gynecologist comes. She's like, 
I'm sorry for your loss. If you want, you can go celebrate New Year's Eve and come back in two days and we deliver you. I'm like, what the hell? Like, no, get this baby out of me right now. So she tries to convince my husband that I should have a normal birth, like not, not a C-section. And like, like my entire thoughts were like, get this dead baby out of my body. Like I can't like even accept the idea that there's a dead baby. It's like, get, get her out, just get her out. And she convinces him and he convinces me that this is the best thing, the best course of action, whatever. And all of this happened and they still did not even tell me I have preeclampsia. You know what the first thing she told me was? Oh, you're diabetic. This is a complication most diabetics have. You, have. you had stillbirth. This happens to most of people with type 1. And I felt like I was slapped in the face. Like, don't you dare blame my diabetes. Like, I worked so hard to be at home for this baby. Don't you dare blame my diabetes. Like, I knew that was not what happened. So I stay over. The next morning, they induce me. I start throwing up nonstop hypertension at 17 and then they decide that I should have an, an emergency c-section I never see my baby I never saw her I never held her I never got to see to say goodbye to her and to this moment like I'm still in therapy because of that you know like I didn't have closure I didn't get to see her I, I don't know how, how she looks like and she's part of me you know like she's part of my soul and I, I never got to see how she look, looks like and like the, the following four days at the hospital, I was just so numb. Like people would come and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And they cry. I'm like, oh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm okay. And I don't know where that calmness came from. But like one thing I remember the most was the love. Like I felt, and I, I feel it up to this moment. Like she filled me with so much love. Like, she taught me how to, I don't know love without her. Like, and that was why she chose me to be her mom, even if it was, like, just for nine months or eight, eight and a half months. Like, she taught me how to love. And ever since then, I felt like I have this fire to give back, to love, you know, to give love. A week after it happened, I decided to see another OBGYN to try to figure out what happened. I gave him my tests and he looked at my tests. He's like, oh, you have pre plus protein in your urine. You had preeclampsia. And I was so angry. Like, I, like, like all of this could have been avoided. Like I was so angry. But at the same time, I felt like if God chose me to go through this, like he knew that I was up for it. And I was. And I used this story to empower and help and to kind of become an advocate and to speak up more about diabetes and to speak up more about women empowerment and speak to speak up more about mental health and i was blessed this year with fadil weirdly enough i i, I got pregnant with fadil who was also on plant the same time i was with joya and his due date was also in the same week joya's due date was, it, it felt like God was giving me another chance, like literally he, he got me go, to go through the exact same dates with hope. And I had my baby boy. I still had complications, <laughs> um, but this time I was like, I was prepared. Like I knew I would have preeclampsia. So like I did all the tests and I was prepared. And even when I went into the ICU, eight months pregnant, I went in, uh, through DKA by the way, even though like I did not have high blood, blood glucose, but like 
I had UK eight and I had preeclampsia. So like I was so was that like I'm sorry to sorry to interrupt. Was that you guys semic DKA? Yeah. Yeah, when your mm-hmm. blood sugars are normal, but you're still going to decay. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. And like spent like six days in the ICU when I had when I gave birth. I was separated from my baby for the first forty eight hours. I didn't see him. He spent ten days in the NICU, but still I was prepared. I had a medical team that believed me, and I told them like this is my story, and you you do my way, like you you do things my way because like I know, and this is where advocacy is so important because I know. I live with diabetes. It's my diabetes. My diabetes is different than yours, Robin, different than yours, Eritrea. And like, no one can judge diabetes other than the person who's living with it. And so like, I forced them to believe me and to listen to me. And I've advocated for myself and I have a healthy baby right now. So uh, that's the story of lust and love. I, I want to thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that story because I, I think obviously there's so much pain behind it and, and, you know, and so much grief and loss, but we do feel that love coming through. I also think, you know, even for Eritrea, if you hadn't gone through that and started, you know, you said you started positive on glucose work right at the same time. And then as that's, you know, as this is happening to you, you're able to share that and create a space for people to find you and connect with you in the future. And I know that Eritrea is not the only or the last person to to do that. And so, you know, it's interesting that we were talking about, you know, God doesn't give you challenges that you can't overcome or that you can't handle and it doesn't negate how difficult they can be. But I think when and Eritrea and I have been talking about this, that diabetes sometimes forces you to have a growth mindset. And, you know, you can take this horrible, tragic, negative thing and turn it into positivity, positive on glucose, and meet other people and become, you know, internet sisters in, in many ways, and, you know, diabetes sisters in many ways. And so, you know, you know I think that to me is the sort of crown jewel of, of what internet and self-advocacy can lead to is connecting to other people and helping them learn it from you. Like you said, everybody's diabetes is so different and also all of the different other chronic illnesses that spiral from diabetes that we all deal with in different ways, you know, may not be the same from one person to the other, but when you have your experience and you're able to advocate for yourself, you know, sometimes on the other side of that courage is something that you want. And so, you know, it's so encouraging to, to hear you today as, as a boy mom and, and with, with Fidel, you know, I, I think that's a really amazing story to come back to and, and to say that, you know, because I was, because I learned and because I trained myself to advocate for myself and connected with other people and helped other people. Now I, I, my, on the other side of that terrible pain is this, is this beautiful joy. So I know Eritrea has a couple of questions like, you know, revolving around, you know, when you were going through your second pregnancy, like what were some of the things that you really made sure to advocate for? And, you know, hearing from your, you know, all of the different people, I think one of the things that's really common in this podcast, especially for women with diabetes who are intuitively feeling that something is wrong with them, whether that's you know, in, in uh, Felissa DeRose's case, who was on our podcast mo- a few months ago talking about, 
wanting to be tested for antibodies for type one, even though her doctors thought she was type two. And the many people who said that, no, she was overreacting, that no, that wasn't correct. Or the many people who in your life who were saying, no, 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 everything's going to be fine. You're just overreacting. But your intuition and you know yourself and your body uh, was telling you that there was something wrong. Uh, and so I think, you know, there are people out there who are, who mean well and, and still will not know everything that you will know. Uh, about your body. And so, you know, back to the advocacy piece, it can be really hard to advocate for yourself, especially when experts and people who care about you are telling you that you're overreacting, but you have to listen to your gut. You got to really follow and, and only knew you know yourself that well. So anyway, I'll turn it back to, to Eritrea because I know we have some important questions. Well, before we get to them, I guess there something I'm working on is leaning into the jazz as my mentor, Rob, has been teaching me. And I think you're a really good storyteller. And I also think you've had to tell this story many times because you are such an advocate for what's happened. And first of all, I'm always just so proud of you because you tell it so eloquently and in a way that is graceful and still just beautiful. But I always wonder, like, this is the first time that I'm ever telling my story publicly ever in a place. Rob does, I want the listeners to know, Rob does not know this story. This is not a story Rob has heard before and we're close friends. What was the moment that you were like, this is a story I need to tell? Like, was there a light bulb that turned on? What, like, what moved you to do that? So when it first happened, I wanted like the earth to just open up and swallow me, especially in, in front of the diabetes community, because everyone was waiting for me to like, to talk about like my pregnancy and my baby. And back then, I had so many internet friends, like from Plasma Glucose, you'd connect over Instagram. You're one of them. Muhammad's one of them. I had so many, so many, so many friends back then on Instagram. And this was even before the WhatsApp group and the support group over Zoom. So like we we're talking four or five months before like that even started. And I was so silent up until February. And then I was like, I need to talk about this. Like, I literally need to talk about what happened because so many people are, are waiting to hear it from me. Like, people would text me, ask me, like, how are you doing? When's the baby due? And I would just not answer them for weeks. And I remember I set up the tripod um, in the baby's room. And I put the camera and I put a chair. And I was like, okay, how am I going to tell this story? And I would try to tell the story and I would cry. And then I would wipe my tears, turn on the camera again and try to, and like, the video was still there, even though I was not a hijabi back then. I left it. God understands because, like, it would help people go through their um, stories. So that was the first time I ever opened up about it. And ever since then, I just, I think the first year after it happened, the story would, was my fire. Like, it was my fuel. It, it was, like, the pain. I don't know. It, it was pain and love at the same time. I don't know how to ex explain it. Like I wasn't grieving in a sense that I just wanted to be left alone. No, I was out. I was fierce. I wanted to talk about it to people. I started a baby loss group in Lebanon. I met with other moms that went through baby loss. We started doing support groups. I'm a life coach. So we started doing support groups for other moms. And I just worked so hard at supporting baby loss for the first year and a half. And then I realized that I, what I was really doing was like I was being overactive to just stop myself from feeling. And so in 2022, I decided to feel. I started to let myself like go. Like I wanted to go into my grief, go into my pain, try to look at it, try to feel it, try to immerse in it. And that's when I kind of stopped telling my story for a while. 
until I got pregnant again. Um, that was going to be my next question, actually, before you just give all the spoilers away for our audience. But for me personally, I don't know if I'll ever be willing to do it again. I don't know if I'll ever be able to open myself and my heart open to an experience where I, I try to bring a life onto the earth because I think it's a brave thing to do. I think it's literal carnage, as I've said before on this podcast, and I'm scared. So I, I always ask myself, like, Sidine, you're the bravest woman I know, like, to just be like, you know what? I'm back on the trampoline. Here I go on this horse. Like, how did you come to that decision? Or was it just something that happened, you know, by the will of, you know, of the universe? So how did you get there to be like, okay, I can try one more time? Or, or where are you there? Yeah. So I think, I think now I'm there. But like when it happened, I was not there. I tried for the longest time to be prepared for the idea to be pregnant again. And I would like, I, I went to therapy, like I, I changed so many therapists. I did, I did so many mindfulness stuff, like access consciousness and like Reiki and like all the things and like the spiritual things and like the super Islamic things. Like I did literally everything off the spectrum. And at one, one point I was doing great. And then I slipped again into my depression and like my A1C was 10 point something. And I, I had a tumor, actually. It was, a, it's a, it was a benign tumor, but I had a really, really big tumor in my abdominal muscles. And I had to have like this big surgery. And so I go in, I do the surgery. Weirdly enough, before I did the surgery, they wanted to do an x-ray. And they were like, are you pregnant, ma'am? I'm like, no. But like, if I'm pregnant, like, what should we do? They're like, oh, you have to wear this protective thing. I'm like, let's wear it. I had no idea I was pregnant. I was pregnant, spoiler alert. <laughs> I do this surgery, general anesthesia, like this really big surgery hurts as hell. And I come out into the recovery room and I was, I had like, I was still like, you know, in and out. And like this nurse tells me like, oh, we have to do like an x-ray to the guy next to you. Are you pregnant? I'm like, no, but like, how, how can you protect me? Like, he's like, how oh, we do this thing? I'm like, okay. <laughs> I swear to God. And like I, I get out of the hospital on a, I did the surgery on a Thursday. I come out of the hospital on a Saturday. I can barely walk. And I miss my period on a Tuesday. I'm someone who's very regular. Sorry for the information. And like I call my diabetes educator. I'm like, oh, like my glucose like is so high all the time. It's like 400. It's not getting down. I miss my period. What's happening? It's like, might you be pregnant? I'm like, no, no, of course not. Like I've been using... I'm on, like, we're trying to keep it safe. She's like, why don't you just get a test? And I text my husband, I'm like, can you please get me a pregnancy test? He's like, why? Like, you just had general surgery and, like, you're not pregnant. I'm like, get a test. <laughs> and I remember I did the test. It was like seven in the morning. Uh, my, hus my husband was in the bathroom, and God knows what husbands do in the bathroom for an hour each morning. And, like, and the test is positive. And I'm like, I'm barely able to walk and like I open the bathroom door I'm like oh man I'm pregnant and I start crying because like I was terrified like I had two x-rays general anesthesia my A1C is 10 like what the hell am I doing to myself how am I pregnant like how is this ever even happening and I cried for like an hour and then I was like wait I'm pregnant it happened <laughs> I'm so happy and 
I just, I felt this calmness inside of me. And I knew my baby had a guardian angel, who's a sister. And it, I just knew everything was going to be okay. My OSC was down to six in a month. I had an overall okay pregnancy. It wasn't that hard. Minus the complications that happened before I gave birth. But like now when I think of it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I would do it again in the blink of an eye. Like now, like literally like an hour ago, I was telling my husband like, oh, I was putting away the baby stuff and there are like so many baby clothes that are like, are like they're still in very good condition. Like if he has a sister, like they fit both genders. And like, I just, I would do it in a blink of an eye because Eritrea, society tells us that we fail as women because we have diabetes. But once you see that baby who's like this big and you look at it and like, you say, I created that, like that literally sat inside of me. And I did that. And then it's like the best achievement you've ever done in all of your life. So to all the women like who are terrified of having babies, don't, don't. Like your body can make miracles. It, it's here, like it's all, it's all here. It's what we're conditioned to believe. And it's what you decide that you want to change inside your head. You can do miracles and like, I have proof he's like asleep inside. He's proof that my body can make miracles and that my, my body did not fail me at any point. I think the way you explain it is so well. There's, there's, an, a, belief, there's a belief in Islam and I, and I don't want to be too religious on this episode because for our listeners, not everything here is that way. But there's a belief in Islam that what, what's happening to you is already written for you that your story is your story. It was created before, you know, obviously you have free will, but your story was already written for you. So when I hear your story and I hear about Hoya, which in Spanish means jewel, and I hear about Faddal, because I, Habibi Faddal, I love him. <laughs> I just think about how powerful the story that you have is and how it's one that is now trailblazed a space for more women who exist like me in this weird limbo space of, do I go this way or do I go that way? And I feel like you are living proof that whichever way I decide to go, there's going to be beauty there because through pain, you can find beauty. And I feel very lucky to have you in my life and to be able to share your experience with more people here today. There are, we do have a few more questions. I just want to kind of highlight the loss of, of Joya, like you said, it was avoidable. And I think that that you are a much bigger person than I am because I am an angry person and I don't know how I would have handled that. And I'm sure you did have anger because we talked about it. But was there anything there in that experience that you really wish that your doctor would have done other than dismiss you? Because it sounds like she was very just dismissive in general and not just dismissive of you, but telling other people to dismiss you. Like, I want to hop on a flight to Lebanon and fight her. But anyways, how did you like handle that? And what do you, else do you wish that she would have done differently? You know, like one question I'm always asked when I tell my story is like, how did you not beat the hell out of her? Yeah, literally. <laughs> Why didn't you sue her? So like, I didn't beat the hell out of her because I'm not that kind of person. I, I'm like my husband and I were, were not that kind of people. No, I believe that God will take or like will, will revenge me, like or karma will, will do whatever it wants. 
why I didn't sue her because I live in, a, in Lebanon, which is a very effed up country with a lot of failed systems, including the healthcare and the judiciary system. So even if I had sued her, I would have paid a lot of money and she would known, would have known someone at some political party that would have gotten her, gotten her out of it. The proof is she, another lady lost her baby because of her and she's still in practice. So, yeah. So like, for me, like, I know God will take revenge over what she, what she did to me. I really believe in that. And I've always seen people who like cross me, like I see them with my own eyes. I see what karma does to them. So like, I really, really, really believe in that. I'm waiting. I'm the waiting universe balances the scales, basically. Yes. 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 And I wouldn't have changed anything because, because I'm a coach. I have learned that you have no power over others. You only have power over yourself. So I would have acted differently. And that is what I did in my second pregnancy. I don't, I don't believe in the what ifs, honestly. Like what happened, happened. Nothing I can ever do would change what happened. What I can do is I can talk about my feelings. I can process them. And I could learn from them, prevent them from happening to other people or to myself again. So with my second baby, Fadl, I did everything I can to not repeat my, mis- my mistakes. And actually, I changed uh, gynecologists with Fadl. I, I wow. changed gynecologists when I was six months pregnant because I felt like the first one wasn't taking my preeclampsia from the first pregnancy serious enough. And I did that. So... We, we don't have power over others. We only have power over ourselves, how we feel, how we behave. And I think this is very important to realize. That's powerful. Self-advocacy is, a I feel like, a very common thread here at Diabetics Doing Things. It's like, closed mouths don't get fed on this boulevard. You got to open up and speak up. I think the reason that it keeps coming up, though, is because it, it's not something that's ever completed. As a matter what level of diabetes or what, you know, what tasks you've completed previously, you're going to still have to advocate for yourself just like it was the first time. And it takes courage to do what you said, like at six months in your pregnancy to change your endocrinologist. That is probably not recommended in many cases. So you have to go against what is practical and when you're advocating for, for what you need. Yeah. Lots to say here. I'm not a man. But Rob is. (laughs) I just wonder that if from a partner, and Amr's great, by the way, big fans of Amr, shout out to my homie. But because that's my homie, he follows me and everything, be liking the post, that's my homie. But as a partner for two women, like, is there something that you would say to men who are experiencing their wives, either their wives with diabetes or themselves with diabetes, going through pregnancy loss or going through loss of a child? Like, as partners, because I know for me, my partner at the time, unfortunately, it was just very emotionally unavailable and that was very, very difficult. So I wonder what's the advice or what's something that you would want them to know to better support their partner who might have lost the, you know, the physical child itself? Yeah. Um, so I'll tell you things that I've learned from my experience um, and something also that came up and a recent conversation with Julie, you know her. Um, I, love, I love her. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I think first thing, if you if your wife goes through loss, 
push her to go into therapy because I resisted therapy for the first year and a half. And I would also advise the couple to go into a couple of couple therapy sessions because whether you realize it or not, it has a toll on your relationship and there is blame and there is guilt. Whether you are vocal about it, you acknowledge that you feel it or not, it is there. And Amir and I, like, we pushed it away for so long until it blew up in our faces and we had to go to, like, process it individually and together. And I, I'm lucky enough to have a supportive husband in the Middle East who is pro-therapy because, like, a lot of people here don't really believe, believe in the concept of uh, therapy or mental health or, like, ah, you're not crazy. Why would you want to go? Why would you want to go to a therapist, Habibti? You know, like, like the Arab... يعني انت مجنونه is she crazy why would she want to go to someone and blah 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 about her life just go go pray habibti no 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 it doesn't work like that honey no no prayer doesn't solve mental health issues like you have to go to a therapist so yeah that's that's the first aspect of it the second aspect of it is something i learned from julie who was with me on a podcast and we were talking about women and diabetes and all of that and she told me like one tip I would give to women is to educate their partners on what kind of help they want to receive. They mm. do not know. Tell them, not just your partners, your parents, your friends. Tell them how, you, how you'd like them to take care of you because sometimes they really don't. They want to take care of you the best way they can, but they don't. They don't know what's your love language, how you like to be taken care of. So just be vocal about your needs. Don't expect people to know. And like for me, I just like, I expected people to know that. And I didn't say what I needed. I was angry. Like, why, are you, why aren't you giving me what I need? And the truth is, they were trying. They just didn't give me what I wanted. So that is, like, these are the two things, I think, that I can come out of my experience with. Yeah. I, I think those are great pieces of advice for partners, even if you're not planning on having a family anytime soon. I think, you know, creating that space for that communication telling your partner how you want to be loved, how you want to be supported or things that everybody could, could do well to, to understand and, and to understand each other a little bit better. I also want to, you're right. I am a man. I don't understand these. I'm not a father yet. I, I hope to be someday, but something, you know, the discussion of miscarriage was introduced to me pretty early on because my, my mom and dad, before I was born, had, had a miscarriage and my mom's been really, you know, shout out Anita. She's evolved with, with the times because that used to not be something that people shared very openly. And I think there was a lot of shame and stigma around. And I think there still is, but it, it all is makes sense because it's grief and loss and it's uncomfortable and it hurts, but there is really something to sharing your story and to normalizing that, you know, even in the United States, 10 to 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. And so while that, you know, doesn't necessarily make ease the pain in the short term, I think in the long term, as we seek out those connections, like you two have found in positive on glucose and many others have found like sharing and being open and, and, and normalizing that conversation and taking away that stigma, I think is where, you know, the, the power to, to grow and to, you know, I think of like a forest fire, right? Like it, it's so tragic when we see the flames burned down, but the richness of the soil, you know, can allow new things to grow. And I think that to me is something that, you know, when, 
when the fires of, of life come to you and they really hurt you and they cause you pain, sharing that with someone can really help, you know, grow and, and enrich your soil. So I think, you know, f surrounding yourself with support and with friends and with people who really care about you and want to support you and love you in the way that you are, that you say that you want to be supported and loved uh, are really valuable. And so I think, you know, as we kind of close the episode, I think that's something that I'm grateful for that this podcast has done, which is bring more people into this in these situations where we can have open discussions and connect with each other over really tragic situations that we're able to look back on fondly and say, you know, because this happened to me, I can be a voice for other people and, and share my story with, in hopes that somebody out there who is struggling, advocating for themselves in these types of situations will, you know, maybe hear something today that allows them to, to have the courage to make difficult or, or challenging decisions. And while this episode was difficult to record, I, I would like for the audience to take away a feeling that this isn't a bummer. Like, it's not like sad, sad, cry, cry. It's more like, like Rob said, it's the fires of life that, sh that kind of shape you and shape us as people. And I think it's important for us to walk away from this today saying like, yes, this was a hard experience that Serene and Eritrea went through, but that's how you learn, that's how you grow, and that's what shapes you. And I also think it's just important for us to normalize the loss of pregnancies and that it's okay if you tried to have a baby and you didn't get to. And if you don't want to have one, that's also okay. I think it's important to normalize women everywhere in whatever decision that they decide to make with their own reproductive health. Too many times there is judgment and stigma and shame and even unnecessary conversation that quite frankly is not anyone's business. I, I stop think asking women when they're going to have a baby. Like, please stop doing that. Stop asking people when they're going to try again. You know, like small things that I think we forget because having a healthy baby seems so normal and so easy. We forget that it is actually a miracle of the universe. It really is. And besides that, it's major surgery and yeah. a major physical commitment. And I think, you know, in the U.S., we have a lot of decisions that are being made about women's rights that are being made by men who don't understand and who aren't interested in really understanding. And so I think that's something that also, you know, making sure that women have autonomy in, in these decisions as well is extremely important. And I also would say, like, you know, from this Women's Health Series, I have learned a lot especially, you know, even outside of diabetes, because diabetes, as Serene said earlier, looks very different for everyone, but it looks extremely different between men and women. There's just way fewer things that the men with diabetes have to uh, have to balance in our heads. So Serene, thank you for your time and for sharing your story. You know, it really has touched uh, us and I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. And uh, thank you for uh, your work with Positive on Glucose. You know, we don't have to look any further than uh, Eritrea today to show the impact that it's had globally. So thank you for all that you do. And uh, so happy to have you back on the podcast. Same here, same here. I'm so happy to be back. And I just want to like tell people one final message. Pregnancy is hard, but like taking care of a baby is even harder. <laughs> it's like it's, it's a decision that you should not take lightly, especially if you have diabetes. Like you're running around the little monster who's like half drunk, during your apartment apart and like you have to manage your highs and lows so like um, just be very ready for it and i just i hope it's helped so many people heal if they needed to heal from something 
And I want to remind them again that they are a home. You are a home, no matter what NCD you live with. So always remember that. Mm, I love that. This episode was produced by Eritrea Musa. It was edited and published by Ashley Bright. And our amazing video clips uh, come from Excel Creative, from DJ and Corey. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.